In this bulletin, Aboriginal band of musicians, Wampere Band, set to be immortalised with theatre show of their story to take the stage. New reports reveal fewer than one in four GP clinics are using bulk billing for patients, raising the out-of-pocket costs for those seeking healthcare. New South Wales Police intercepted nine packages containing 59 live reptiles bound for Hong Kong. Rehearsals are underway for an upcoming rock theatre show honouring the legend of Australia's Wampere Band, who made history as the first rock band to sing in Aboriginal languages. Letitia musician Jason Butcher is rehearsing to tell his story, his father's story, and says practising his father's songs is an emotional experience. Jason's father, Sammy Butcher, was one of the band's founders and now helps younger members of the community make and record music. He is the Northern Territory nominee for the 2024 Australian of the Year Award. Wampere was formed in 1980 and wrote iconic Australian songs like Blackfella, Whitefella and My Island Home. And my island home, my island home, my island home is waiting for me. Ilbajiri Theatre Company, Rachel Maza says the show is what Australia needs after the failure of this year's voice referendum. The show, titled Big Name No Blankets, will premiere at a Sydney festival between January 10th and 14th. Western Australia's hardwood timber industry is in limbo as it awaits the approval of environmental assessment of alumna mining giant Alcoa. The US-listed mining company has plans to clear part of the state's forest in Western Australia, which the state's hardwood timber industry is hoping will supply logs for timber supplies. However, the plan is to be closely examined by environmental regulators after the recent state ban on commercial logging of native hardwood came into effect. The Environmental Protection Authority says it will carefully scrutinise the impact of Alcoa's proposed activities and in the meantime will allow Alcoa to operate under strict conditions. The Forest Industries Federation say they expect around 10,000 tonnes of logs to be provided per annum under these conditions. But the ban is causing concerns about where the long-time timber supply will come from. Eight people are in critical condition in hospital after suspected drug overdoses at a rave in Melbourne. The overdoses are prompting calls for pill testing facilities in Victoria, as well as better drug education. Paramedics on scene at the Hard Mission Festival in Flemington treated the eight before they were sent to hospital. The drugs involved are believed to be MDMA derivatives. A Victorian government spokesperson has said there are no current plans in place to trial pill testing in the state. New government data has found that wages 
have increased at their fastest rate in over a decade. Wages in all brackets, except for the highest, have recorded their largest quarterly growth since 2009, with aggravated, aggregated wages increasing 4% in the year to September 2023. Treasurer Jim Chalmers said the growth to the government's policies after what he describes as a decade of deliberate wage stagnation under the coalition. However, real wage growth is still being challenged by inflation, with the consumer price index still at 5%. The government says the wage growth has been contributed by the federally funded pay rise for aged care workers in June to. 2023. A new report reveals fewer than one in four GP clinics will bulk bill every patient who walks through the door. By bulk billing, doctors bill Medicare instead of the patient, so there is no out-of-pocket cost for visits to the doctor. A total of 514 clinics across Australia that bulk billed all patients at the start of the year has stopped by November 2023. Online healthcare directory Clean Bill contacted more than 6,800 clinics across Australia for its report, finding that national bulk billing rate for doctors accepting new patients now sits at 24.2%. Average out-of-pocket costs for GP visits are highest in New South Wales, ACT and Tasmania. Flood warnings are in place for parts of Victoria as severe thunderstorms impact the state. Victorian State Emergency Service personnel responded to hundreds of requests for help over the weekend, with at least 53 flood-related rescues. Michael Efron from Bureau of Meteorology says the severe weather will continue on through Monday. And given the amount of moisture in the atmosphere, we could actually see totals uh, around 200 millimetres through the north and the northeast. So we have issued a number of warnings, a flood watch. The amount of moisture across the state uh, at the moment, it, it's incredible. It's uh, what you would normally see in somewhere like Queensland. We're seeing those northerly winds uh, across the state at the moment bringing that moisture down. South Australian and southern New South Wales areas are also in the firing line for major weather events. Authorities say a 31-year-old man from Victoria's Outer West no longer poses a threat to the community. Victorian police arrested the man who is now in questioning for the stabbing attacks of three people and a possible fourth. The man is up against 15 charges, including 14 related with assault and one charge of possessing a control weapon. He is currently being held at Prayan Police Station from where he is set to be transferred to the Melbourne Magistrates Court to face a hearing today, January 8th. Detective Senior Sergeant Andrew Eris from the Crime Investigation Unit, says the victims had no link to one another in what he described as a series of cowardly attacks. We believe that uh, the victims that were uh, randomly attacked on this particular occasion are people that were just going about their own business 
and have been uh, cowardly attacked by this particular male. And it's just another example of um, the issue that we've got in the community at the moment with edge weapons. A man has been charged with murder after a fatal house fire in Tasmania. Police and emergency services were called to Sanders Street in northern suburb of Glenarchy on Friday after reports of a house was on fire and a body was found inside the residence. A 40-year-old Newton uh, Newtown man was taken into custody on Friday afternoon and formally charged with murder on Sunday night. He will appear before Hobart Magistrates Court today, Monday. Police are still appealing for information or CCT footage from anyone who lives in the vicinity. More Australian Defence Force personnel are set to leave for the United Kingdom to help train members of the Ukrainian military. Nearly 100 ADF members will be flying out as part of the latest round of military assistance under the expanding Operation Kudu. Acting Defence Minister Matt Thistlewaite says the ADF is performing an important role in supporting Ukraine's fight against Russia's invasion. Mr Thistlewaite told ABC News Breakfast that this will bring a total number of Australian troops involved in training to 370. Australia's been one of the largest non-NATO contributors and that, that contribution and that support will continue to make sure that Ukraine can defend itself and that its sovereignty is upheld. Since January 2023, Australian soldiers have trained over 12,000 Ukrainian Oh, 1,200 Ukrainian troops alongside soldiers from Canada, New Zealand, Romania, Norway and Sweden. The Australian government has defended its decision to not send warships to the Red Sea and says Australia is making its contribution but must focus on its own maritime priorities. Following a series of attacks on commercial shipping vessels by Houthi militants in the Red Sea, Australia rejected the US request to send a warship to the region and instead sent troops to assist US operations. Acting Defence Minister Matt Thistlewaite told ABC News Breakfast that Australia will be tripling the contingent of Australian troops in the Red Sea, but that focus remains on our region. And as I said, our our priority is our region, two-thirds of Australia's uh, shipping and imports and exports to our country come through the Asia-Pacific. And that's why the government sees the freedom of navigation exercises that we're undertaking in particularly the South China Sea is fundamentally important to protecting those sea lanes for Australian industry. New South Wales police have intercepted the export of nine packages containing 59 live reptiles on their way to Hong Kong. Police say the interception foiled a criminal syndicate's plan to export over $1 million worth of Australian native reptiles. The interception was part of a strike force, Wairada, established in September 2023 to investigate illegal native animal exports. Police allege the reptiles were being exported to Hong Kong for profit and say each lizard fetch around $5,000 on average. 
Almost 260 reptiles have been found since the beginning of the operation. Each is then examined by veterinarians at a wildlife park and zoo before being released back into the wild. Researchers from the University of Adelaide and the University of South Australia say that a single glass wine bottle generates 1.25 kilograms of carbon dioxide. The research has found that wine bottle production and transport make up over two-thirds of the industry's carbon output. Lead researcher Job Mesidis says winemaking is actually fairly eco-friendly, but the significant energy and heat was produced by the furnaces used in the process. The research also suggests that heavy and inefficient shape of bottles means they take up more space in transportation. To tackle this, the research suggests turning alternative packaging for wine, arguing that despite the reputation of box wine or cask wine, it actually has no negative impact on taste and improves shelf life for wine. National leader... David Littleproud is calling on the Australian Competition and Consumer Commission to launch a probe into cost of fruit and vegetables. Mr Littleproud says supermarket giants are failing to pay farmers fairly whilst making record profits and wants them to be subject of consumer watchdog inquiry. A spokesperson for Woolworth says the price of fruit and vegetables in stores was determined by what was paid to farmers and assures that the producers received a fair amount. Recent surveys of workers at the peak vegetable body, Ozveg, found that over 30% of growers were considering leaving the industry next year. In sport... The Matildas captain, Sam Kerr, will almost certainly be ruled out of playing at the Paris 2024 Olympics after the Stars suffer um, an ACL injury during the training camp in Morocco. Matildas manager, Tony Gustafson, says the injury is devastating considering how hard she has worked to return to play. The injury has already ruled her out of the second half of the Chelsea's WSL and European Champions League campaigns, as well as Australia's AFC Women's Olympic Qualifiers Round 3 next month. Kerr is the leading women's player to have suffered an ACL injury, which officials say is rarely recovered within nine months of rehabilitation. And now I'll look at today's weather, Monday 8th of January. Broome is sunny at 36, Perth is much the same at 35, Adelaide is a possible morning shower at 24, Melbourne is rain, possible storms at 22. Hobart is rain at 19. Albury-Wodonga is rain, possible storm at 27. Canberra is possible storm, heavy falls at 24. Wollongong is rain at 26. Sydney is increasing rain at 29. Newcastle, increasing showers at 29. Brisbane, a shower or two at 30. Townsville, much the same at 33. Cairns, possible shower at 32. Alice Springs is partly cloudy at 33. Darwin is having a shower or two, possible storm at 33. And the Torres Straits are facing showers 
at 32. Welcome back. I'm your host, Nari Pakai, and you're listening to NITV Radio. Still to come on the show, naturopath, nutritionalist, and permaculturalist, Rogatory woman Felicity Kerslick speaks to NITV Radio's Saka Pachova with an encouraging message to start building health from the ground up. But first, let's take a look at some of the stories from NITV News Team Summer Yarn Series. We look back on deadly stories from across the country in 2023. Book launches are often held in quirky locations for the sake of publicity. But for one group of writers and poets, their book was launched inside New South Wales jail out of necessity. Dreaming Inside is the latest work to come from writing program pioneered and ran by 87-year-old elder Arnie Barbara Nicholson. And all the contributors are, are Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander inmates. In the cultural centre of the Juni prison on Wiradjuri country, a gathering is underway. We've got cake to celebrate the launch of volume 11. Isn't that fantastic? It's taken a long time to get here, 12 years in fact. From the beginning of your time, greed, murder, lies and lust were your crime. Terra nullis, you let the British decree, no civilised humans here that you could see. You dress up one of our own, called misguided Benelong. You took him to a foreign land and destroyed his tribal song. The words of First Nations inmates immortalised in the latest edition of Dreaming Inside. Helps me emotionally um, and spiritually, I suppose, but mainly emotional. Being stolen as a young child and remembering it, it's been like therapy, writing about it and getting it out. The Black Wallaby Writing Workshop is unique to the prison. Its founder and editor-in-chief is 87-year-old Waddy Waddy elder, Auntie Barbara Nicholson. In the very early days, I struggled a lot with the inmates because they were so unused to any such a program that they'd say, oh, aunt, I can't write. Uh, aunt, I don't want to write. Uh, I, I've never written. I don't know anything about poetry. Using her skills as a writer and former academic, she has taught hundreds of inmates how to open up and tell their stories. It's sort of like a release for me, like putting it down on paper sort of makes it, look at it in a different angle, you know, sort of having it up in your head. And it gets all the boys together, lifts the morale in the jail and that too, you know. The writing program has also expanded into a women's prison at a time when the incarceration rate of women is at an all-time high. But a lack of secure funding could put the program in jeopardy, with Auntie Barb using her own pension money to cover costs like manuscripts, transport and publishing. Oh, Elon Musk, if you want to give us some money, <laughs> go for it. Uh, uh, Maccas, yeah, I'll fly the Golden Arches if we could get um, some corporate funding um, and I'd even be nice to them and I'd refrain from making nasty comments. Despite the challenges... Auntie Barb remains focused on the next edition. Diana Damjanovic, NITV News. 
renowned artist Danny Eastwood is best known for his murals and his cartoons in the Koori Mail. And after a lifetime of drawing, painting and sculpting, Nyemba Elder is hoping to inspire new generation of artists. And this is showing... Since he can remember, Danny Eastwood has been creating art. I've been doing art since I was five years old. It was at that age he began honing his talents. My father showed me off to do a squiggle line and he said he's proud to get his uncles my artists and, and he said, you're watching me, will make something into it. I don't stick to one theme, I like to try out everything. Now a father to his own sons, it's a talent he hopes to pass on. I've grown up with Dad as an artist from a young age and that's always, always mentored me and many other people and that and... Uh, I still consider myself to be his uh, apprentice, a mature age apprentice now. This exhibition, curated by his son Jamie, is the first time in more than a decade his life's work has been on display. I even surprise myself when I look around, did I do all that? From sculptures to paintings, the traditional and contemporary, there is nothing the Nyemba elder hasn't tried his hand at. I don't stick to one theme, I like to try out everything recognised too for his compelling cartoons that have featured in the Courier Mail in the last 20 years, many of which have captured the political issue of the day. Racism in sport, health inequality and party politics. His pen has become a conduit of conversations for First Nations issues over the years. My cartoons represent the people of Torres Strait and Australia. The Koreas, the Murrays, the Nungas, all over. He is now passing the power of the pen on to others, teaching workshops at the Arts Centre. For those hoping to follow in his footsteps, it's a chance to learn from one of the greats. Marcella Sinalonga, NITV News. Welcome back. I'm your host, Nori Pakai. Next up, a conversation with Raradjuri woman Felicity Kerslake. She is experienced a naturopath, nutritionalist and permaculturalist with 20 years of experience and a big passion for native foods and plant medicines. Felicity is also a part of a team that looks into mainstream medical systems and to see if, if and how to use Australian native and traditional medicine is supported in our current systems. We are now joined by Viradjuri woman Felicity Kerslake. Felicity is an experienced naturopath, nutritionist and permaculturalist and she's going to talk about Australian native fruits and plant medicines. Hello Felicity and thank you for joining us on NITV Radio. Thank you for having me. Felicity, you have many years of experience and passion for native fruits and medicinal plants. You're also part of the team who is educating people about the native medicines. Can you tell us more about your work? Yeah, absolutely. So I'm working with the team at the Australian Bush Food Education Centre and also with a team of researchers. And we're looking into how we can support uh, the general public, how we can support our First Nations peoples, but also to how we can support our healthcare professionals as well with the education and understanding of our 
traditional medicines that we have in Australia, our First Nations traditional medicines, and also to our Australian native foods and plants. Uh, and for me, it's really important to reconnect to country, to reconnect to this knowledge and to be able to have it accessible so people, our First Nations people who choose to continue to use our uh, medicines, our plant medicines, they have access to it and it's supported and accepted in a culturally safe way. Mm -hmm. And how do you support people on their journey to, to start using the plants? Yeah, it starts a lot of First Nations people hold the knowledge so, and um, that's passed down from elders uh, and from traditional knowledge holders as well. So for my role, it's really just supporting in a way that's meaningful to the individual coming to see me. However, I've also we're also doing more wide reaching, so group talks and education. So we've got a range of online education, and this is really getting people to understand, you know, what is a native food in Australia? Because if I say to someone, "Hey, can you name an Italian food?" they might be able to say pizza or a pasta, or if I say an Indian food, they'll say curry. But when I say something about what's an Australian food, a lot of people are stumped and if not they say meat pie we don't know and so for me it's really looking at getting awareness of what our foods are out there and with knowing or having that access to the foods and knowledge on what foods we have in Australia our native foods it also then brings into the plant medicines and our First Nations traditional medicines because a lot of our foods are actual medicines but what determines a food and what determines a medicine is this is where the knowledge comes into play. It's really knowing and understanding when to pick the plant, how to grow the how to grow the plant, when to pick the plant, what part of the plant to use, what parts edible and what parts not. So it is really delicate balance of knowledge, uh, but also to in a culturally safe way, knowing how much to share, because currently within Australia, uh, the cultural, indigenous cultural intellectual property so the knowledge of how we do these things and how we prepare foods and how we prepare medicines, it doesn't align with our um, intellectual property laws. So meaning that if someone comes along and hears what I'm sharing, they can easily take that knowledge and then go reproduce it and start monetizing it and start using it in a, a way that's not appropriate and it doesn't recognize the source or the benefit sharings that might come from that doesn't actually go back to the knowledge holders or the communities where that knowledge came from. You said there could be people sort of abusing this knowledge. Has it happened? Yeah, absolutely it's happened. And unfortunately it was one of the detrimental effects of colonization, which still impacts us today. So with the severing of knowledge or severing of the language and looking at traditional farming practices so uh, first nations people live with purpose they were agroecologists so they actually would plant foods they would eat the foods and plant them and live in a really sustainable way because that's all their resources were foods and medicines shelters tools everything came from their environment so when colonization happened there was wiping out of land clearing of land there was the monocultural farming coming in so this is where you get paddocks of you know the same crop over and over again 
So it really changed the landscape and it also changed the way in which people ate and which people, our First Nations people lived, uh, which is what we're seeing now in the health impacts in our First Nations people as well. So thing, um, we're all familiar with tea tree and we're all familiar with eucalyptus. These are really potent plant medicines that we know that are, you know, have extreme antimicrobial action to them. And this knowledge was taken and then you know, pharmaceutical companies or those with money can start to put patents on them and start making money from you know drugs that are manufactured, especially when you consider that over 70% of pharmaceutical drugs we have in our society, they actually come from plants, they originate from plant medicines. So it's really important that we protect this knowledge and protect the way that the knowledge is held and the use of the plants and the foods. And by doing that, what we can actually do is the benefits that you've mentioned is that we can start to regenerate country because I'm a big believer in with a healthy country, we have healthy people. So if we're getting plants in the ground, we're making it accessible. We're making food accessible. We're supporting the supply chain. We're also making sure it's local, so reducing food miles. So food's not travelling and, you know, impacting or contributing to global warming, those sorts of things. But the benefit is for the people consuming it is the connection that we get through food, the nutrition that we get through food, and also that wholeness. So they're raw, fresh food plants grown locally. Uh, You can't get much healthier than that. And it's diverse and balanced, which is really important for gut health and microbiome. Mm -hmm. So the good bugs in the gut. You're mentioning it on your web pages as well. So why is gut health so important? Yeah, for me, it is gut health is core to all over health. If you're not absorbing foods that you're eating, it doesn't matter how good the food is you're eating. If you're not able to absorb it, assimilate it, it's not going to have much use for you. But if we're using and we're looking at our First Nations traditional diets, You can actually see they're high in protein, they're high in fats, and they're also high in fibre as well. And fibre is what we know is a prebiotic. So prebiotic meaning it's a food for the good bacteria. And there's a lot of research coming out now in the benefits of these good bacteria, not just within the gut and the physical body, but how it interacts with the mind, the gut connection. And there's also the heart-gut connection, those sorts of things as well. It's working across the whole body. So if we can address gut health using food as medicine and supporting healthy absorption, digestion and a diverse diet, we can actually create health and wellness, which will then alleviate some of the other issues and address the other issues accordingly. Mm. This all sounds really amazing and inspiring, but a bit overwhelming as well. You know, where does one start? What would you recommend to someone who is interested? Yeah, absolutely. So it's just start by reaching out. Um, So I run group programs and those programs, it's just teaching people about our foods. What does a healthy diet look like? What does a healthy lifestyle look like? How can we actually incorporate it? Because a lot of us know, but it's just the how and how we can actually do it. So it's really getting out, touching the plants, feeling the plants, connecting with each other and connecting with the food. So we know that when 
you know, it just we've had Christmas just gone by. Every a lot of people gather around Christmas. It's about the connection to family, to culture, to community. It's everyone coming together. Food is just the vessel to get there. So really, the the way you can start is just to reach out, start to learn, start to ask. You know, engage with your local Indigenous community, engage with the elders, just talk with people, and really connect from there. Because once you start connecting, you can start learning and growing. And like I said, I run programs um, online and face to face, which will really help to get people to understand and learning, because it is such a beautiful food source, so nutritious as well. Uh, that's another health aspect of it as well. So nutritious and we've just got to get the accessibility there. So get the awareness and then the accessibility through learning to grow it. Start building health from the ground up. That was the first part of the interview with Wiradjuri woman Felicity Kelslake. Stay tuned for part two after the break. Felicity, you mentioned you also work with health professionals. Is there an increasing interest in traditional medicine and food? Yeah, that's a great question. There is. So there's a preliminary report that's just come out through uh, Dr. Alana Gall, and she's just done a First Nations traditional medicine representation in the Australian National Health Policy. And what that means is that they actually looked at through all their health policies, there are over the 52 policies, but only nine of those policies mention the First Nations traditional medicines. Um, and what that means is that our First Nations people are using it, and it is estimated to be around 18 to 89% of First Nations people are using traditional medicines or other complementary medicines. But our health professionals are not feeling, report, they report not feeling supported in how to advise or discuss around the First Nations traditional medicines because the policy and the frameworks aren't really there uh, to really support that. And that's part of the education journey that I've put forward is to really start to educate on, yes, these foods are powerful and they're nutritious, but they're also used as medicine as well. And just because they're natural doesn't mean they're safe. So we've got to really ensure that our health providers are on board and our health providers are supported so then they can actually advise on, say, things like herb drug or herb nutrient, herb drug nutrient interactions. So ensures that the safety, which is why there has been a survey, the first survey um, in Australia on our First Nations medicines has come out and I'd love for participants to get on board with that. Uh, and that's really just to capture how we can start, what's happening, would you like to see First Nations medicines in everyday healthcare? Would you, you know, uh, have you tried it but found resistance or what's happening for you? So we are actually, um, Dr. Alana Gorb and her research team are really looking into what's happening with our First Nations peoples using traditional medicines and, again, through this medicine and are they able to share? Do they want to share? Those sorts of things. But on the other side too is that what's happening with our health professionals? How are they feeling supported? How do they feel their knowledge is? Are they okay? Are they comfortable? You know, what's happening in that space as well? So this survey aims, there's two surveys, they both aim to really dig a little bit deeper to find out what's going on and how we can best support those who choose to use our First Nations traditional medicine and also to support those who are prescribing and working in healthcare settings to facilitate 
safe discussions and culturally appropriate care. Mm-hmm. And are the, the medicines and the plants and the foods, is this available and culturally appropriate for everyone to use? Or do you think it's for First Nations people and should not be shared beyond? That's a great question. And it varies. I think it depends on each nation as well, because it's a quite a complex area in the sense that it's not a one size fits all. So it's not going to be right for everybody. And Again, what's happening at the moment is that when we look at evidence-based care, we really need to know that if we're prescribing these medicines or if myself as a naturopath are prescribing um, herbal medicines, I need to know how they're interacting in the body, what they're doing, uh, dosage, all these sorts of things. So knowing that, we need to be able to then prescribe it safely. So it may not be safe for everyone. It may not be culturally appropriate for everyone, and that's really important as well and that varies um, through different nations different mobs Um, and then also too we've got to look at then well how is that going to interact with any other medications as well Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so it is available in some sense so as a naturopath i can prescribe them uh, in a way that is compounded at the time of need for that individual patient whereas you cannot um, go to a shop and just go get First Nations traditional medicine unless it's gone through TGA. And that's to ensure that there has been a safety threshold met um, and so it's not going to do harm. Felicity, thank you so much for sharing your wisdom and your passion about bush food and traditional medicine. You're very welcome. Thank you so much for having me on board.